Ron and Anian. I am a mechanic you can trust, and I want to stress that. The Car Doctor. I've got no axe to grind. I've got no reason to not call it like I see it. I really want to help you fix your car and solve your problem. I want to help you to understand it. I want to help you to build a better relationship with your repair shop. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, The Car Doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, thanks for stopping by the garage today. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Here to take your calls and answer your questions. There's information about this radio show out at cardoctorshow.com. You can also find podcasts there, as well as at tunein.com, where you'll also find an affiliate list of some of the affiliates that carry this radio show across this great country of ours. If you want to subscribe to podcasts and take the Car Doctor with you on your device, whatever that might be, you can get out to iheart.com, itunes.com, and Keep in mind my email during the week if you need me when I'm just fixing cars and not fixing cars on radio is uh, ron at cardoctorshow.com. I wonder how or why or what changes the thought process on repairing a car. I, I, I want to tell you this story. I um, We were working in the shop this week, and a new customer came in, called up, went out of his way to call up, and wanted to have a conversation about brakes. He had a pulse in the brakes. They were creating a problem for him, or so he thought it was brakes. He wasn't quite sure. When he stepped on the brake pedal at 45, 50 miles an hour, the steering wheel shook, and it was really quite a distraction, and I learned that once I drove the car. And We had this conversation about what would it cost, and I gave him some numbers, and he said, hey, that sounds great. You know, when can I bring it in? I said, listen, it's brakes. We always try and make a spot for brakes. It's a little quiet this week anyway. February is typically a slow month in auto repair, and um, let's get a look at it. Brings it in, we uh, we get our paperwork out of the way, and he says, by the way, can you do an oil change? Sure, not a problem. And um, I took note of the fact that when I got in the car, the oil change was overdue by 2,000 miles. So right away, my senses were up, like, am I really dealing with somebody that wants to take care of it, or is this a convenience thing? What are they really looking for? And I went about my business and went out for the road test, hit the highway, 45, 50 miles an hour. Yep, step on the brake, steering wheel. It's like doing the hula, your arms shake. Um, you you know, you're, you'd be a great way to lose weight if your arms were kind of flabby. You could just sit there and blah, 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 and, um, you know, instead of going to the gym and doing CrossFit. But uh, came back to the shop and put it up in the air and, you know, looked at the rotors, and you could see the black hot spots in the rotors, and you just knew the car needed rotors. The car needed some work. It wasn't terrible. It was an 07, 08 Honda Pilot with only 130,000 miles. Called the customer back up and said, yeah, you know, you're right. It does need brakes. It's a, it's a front brake issue to start. I can't tell you what if anything's going on with the rears because I feel so much shake out of the front. I've got to start somewhere. I'll start here, and um, we'll go from there. The customer that wanted it done then flipped and went the other way. Well, I don't know. Do you really think I need to? And I'm listening to this, and I'm saying, why did he go through the pain of bringing it in and putting him and I both through this only to say no when I reaffirm that's what's wrong with it, which is what he thought in the first place. But go ahead and do the oil change. Well, I'm thinking to myself, that's okay. We'll do the oil change. It desperately needs that. But why not the brakes? 
it's a safety thing. This time of year, you hit a nice patch, you step on the brake, the steering wheel is hard to hold in your hand and keep the vehicle straight and true. And I noticed there's two car seats in the back, so there's small children involved. And you say to yourself, why? What makes somebody not trust their mechanic? And I think that's really what this radio show is all about. As as I sit here each and every week and I talk to you, and I wonder, why isn't that in a shop somewhere getting repaired? And that's the question I always want to hear from you. What makes you not trust a mechanic? What makes you trust a mechanic? And I think that would be an interesting topic. Maybe we'll explore that this hour or in an upcoming show, but I think it's something we've got to address at some point. And um, we'll leave it there because uh, mechanic trust is a very, very important thing. 855-560-9900 is the phone number. I'm Ron Anini in the car, Doctor. Let's kick open the garage doors and go to Allen in Crescent City, California, with some questions about spark plugs. Allen, before we start, do you trust your mechanic? Do you have one? <laughs> there are very few mechanics around where I live. Yeah. Um, my problem was getting a build on a Fiat just lately. Right. Right. So, so for you, it's 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 sparsity of mechanic. But I guess I guess you're always looking for one you can trust. I get it. So, how can I help you today? Well, I'm putting back online a 1996, 98 uh, Fiat commercial. It's a, a Generac. It's a it's a fifteen thousand watt Generac. That's uh, on demand. It's in, powered by propane. Okay been using regular plugs and it's got 342 hours on it it's 16 years old i just put a new timing belt on it we put it on the right online again and i found the information through you for Polestar, and so i called and they went about a hundred dollars for four plugs and i went to o'reilly and this guy is a kind of a mechanic and he said oh you want to put those in it'll burn up the coil so I called back and talked to Angela, and she called me back at a later date, and she said, oh, well, you should use Iridium, I-R-I-D-U-M, Series I plugs. Okay. And I can put those in. So Now, Angela I, Angela's from where, Polestar or O'Reilly? No, she's from Polestar. Okay. All right. And so, so she's I'm saying, not she's sure saying, where I want to go here. Is she Come saying to not to use the Polestar plugs? Me? Is is Angela saying not to use the Polestar plugs, to use Iridium plugs? Well, these are made by uh, Polestar. Okay. All right. But they're a different uh, material. Right. And she said, therefore, and the guy I talked to before, her, said, oh, yeah, you can use our plugs and that aren't. You know, he didn't know one way or the other. Right. So I'm, I'm wondering if it's worth the investment or not. I'm going to say no. 16 years old and it's got 302 hours on it. I'm going to say no, and here's why. Uh, This is a generator. Is this used? This isn't used every day, Alan. It can't be. Look how many hours it doesn't have on it to say it that way, right? Once a a week, it turns on for 20 minutes to do a test. Right. And And then when the the power goes out, the commercial power, then it comes on and does its thing. Right. Right. I don't think it's worth the investment. First of all, a propane engine. Spark plugs last longer. If this were an automobile, typically spark plugs in a car, um, you know, if, if for conversation's sake, if spark plugs in a car in, in an older vehicle lasted 40,000 miles, in propane it'll be double that because it's a cleaner burning fuel and there's less contaminant and there's, you know, there's a, there's a difference in combustion byproduct. 
So right, I he, realize that. So that's well, one of my, right. my other question to myself is why spend it? Right. So why spend it? I don't. I you know as good as I think pulse star plugs are, I just don't see the value in it. Now, would I put an iridium plug in it? We had a we had a car in the shop this week, a Mazda CX nine. Uh, the customer brought us his own plugs. He took one look at the job and said, "I'm not doing that." He said, "I've got to find somebody to do it for me." And I, you know, listen, it's I understand people get themselves boxed in a corner. I said, "I'll put the plugs in for you," but I always verify. Did you bring me the right plugs? He brought me an NGK part number that, at first glance, appeared to be wrong, and then it turned out that they were right because I called NGK and it actually he brought me an Iridium IX spark plug. And I was looking up NGK standard iridium. Now, the difference between iridium IX and iridium, I don't know, probably $10 a piece and, you know, another 30,000 miles. And it's not going to matter because it's already got 132,000 miles on it. What's the difference? Um, yeah. You know, I, I think we can we go into analysis paralysis. I think we can overanalyze things to the point that we just confuse ourselves. Um, you know, so I, if I have to make a vote here, I'm going to tell you to put the standard spark plugs in it. Keep a spare set around the house. It sounds like you're a little bit out in a remote area. At least then you can afford to put a spare set on the shelf should you ever need them. And uh, hopefully you don't have enough power failures that it makes a difference in, in, in terms of uh, loss. And you'll just yeah, be fine. Okay. For, from an economic point of view, strictly economics. Okay, gotcha. not, I have one know. quick comment. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the caller before you said he was going to use Amsoil in his transmission. Right. Well, I'm going to be, put Amsoil in my Volkswagen uh, new Beetle one of these days pretty soon. I've used Anvil since 1973, and I have changed a lot of vehicles, trucks, and so forth, and right. never a complaint. Right. So right. anyway, that's my my. Well, listen, and I'm a, I, I appreciate the thought, Alan. I appreciate anyway. the thought, sir. Listen, you take good care, and you have a good rest of the weekend. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. More information available online, cardoctorshow.com. Let's get over to Stan in Minnesota, 1948 tractor. Okie dokie. We'll take a shot. Stan, what's going on? How can I help? Yep, I have a 1948 Ford tractor with a 6-volt battery, and it has a positive ground. Okay. How do I hook up my battery charger to it? That's a good question. You know, I'm going to say I don't know. I've never run into that. I know I know how to do it, but I'm just, you know, I don't know why it works. Well, because it just flows the other way. I understand why it works. Um, it just, it's just your, it's which way do you think the ions go? Do they go this way or that way? Um, and, and yeah, but when I hook them at positive to the positive post, why wouldn't that go right to ground and trip my battery charger? Because of, I would have to say because of the polarity in which way it flows in the vehicle. It's the battery charger doesn't know which way the vehicle is grounded. I guess that's the answer to the question, right? Positive is positive. Which way is it, which way is the state of charge going? Well, to me, electricity goes to the least resistance. Mm, well, I think what you ought to do is no. There's an argument, and I've never seen the the answer where I would agree with it. 
Um, some people think that electricity goes positive to negative, and some people think it goes negative to positive. And I think it's a case of, uh, you know, it's a question that's going to go on for a good long time in terms of uh, – in, in terms of the automotive industry, I don't I don't think there's any one specific answer to it. Um, is, is is that your question, Stan? Yeah. Okay. That's my question. I just I don't understand it. Well, yeah. What you're what you what you want then is an explanation of how a positive ground electrical system works. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, well, basically, I I don't understand why I don't why why the positive side doesn't go immediately to ground. But you're grounding the positive, you know, the positive side is grounded. Well, it depends on how the battery is constructed. Now, that's got to take a positive ground battery. You just can't put any battery in that, correct? No, you put any battery in there. A positive ground system. Stan, I'm going to have to do some research and get back to you. How's that for an answer? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. I, I don't understand it. All right, I'll tell you what. We're but have I Harry. know I can. You, but I can put any battery in there, and the same thing. Okay, I'm going to have Harry. I'm going to have Harry keep your phone number, and we're going to call you back next week. How's that? Sure, that'd be fine. All right, buddy. No problem. You're very welcome. Let's get over and talk to Alan. Let's keep it going in Maine, 1999 Pontiac Grand Am. Alan, how can I help you? Yeah, hi, Ron. Yes, I sir. have a 99 Grand Am, and what happens is, after I run it for a couple of minutes, the ABS light will come on. The traction off light will come on, and the ignition will ding like three times. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's warning you. It's warning you that there's a default in the system. Your question uh-huh. to me? Your well, my question is, is it something that I could try and fix myself, or am I going to need, like, an expensive test or something? Do you, do you have a scan tool, Alan? No, I only have a code reader. And yeah. It doesn't read if, ABS. If, if you don't have anything that's going to read ABS, then there really isn't anything you can do. Um, probably the best thing you could do is see if a repair shop will do what I call an informational scan. It's typically a half hour of the shop's time. So, you know, if they're if they're 75 or 100 bucks an hour, it's going to be 35 to 50 bucks. And they'll come back to you with a printout of test results, and they'll scan the ABS traction control module and, and see what exactly fault code you have with some possible solutions. We do that at the shop all the time. We call it an informational scan. And and the reason being is it's a '99 automobile. It's 15 years old. It's right, it's, it's 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 not something you may want to spend a lot of money on. I can tell exactly. you this: that if it if it happened on startup and you know you hadn't been using the brake and the, it just just happened one day starting it up idling in the driveway, my bet is it's an ABS control module, which is common, and that will set without vehicle movement. And if that's what it is, last time I did one, which is a while ago, because the cars are now 16 years old, nobody's putting the money in them, it was easily a $1,600 repair. Right. My car's not even worth half of that, right? Right. Right. So that's, uh, you know, so I would do an informational scan is how I'd approach that, Alan. And then from okay. from that perspective, at least you'll have a direction. All right, sir? Okay. Thanks for your help. You're very welcome. Let's do a quick piece of email. Hey, Ron, you talked about brake hardware recently. What are the materials or parts do you recommend changing when replacing rotors and pads? I've been unhappy the last few times. I've had pads and rotors change. The rotors warp soon after. I'm going to do it myself on a 98 Olds Regency I have in the past on other cars. Do you have any parts brands you would recommend? I was thinking AC Delco Durastop pads and rotors or OEM GM rotors. I'm really sick of low-quality parts. Joffrey. Um, you know, Joffrey, it's not – well, it's not all the time that it's a low-quality part. It's Sometimes it's the setup. Sometimes it is. it has a lot to do with when you take the rotor off, for example. 
are you cleaning the hub surface that the rotor sits against? It has to be it has to be clean. It has to be square, so to speak. And when you put the brake rotor on, do you put a little? You know, we'll put a little silicon grease around the hub, around the flange, and it helps the rotor to seat and not stick in any one position. And it does make a difference, especially upon removal, when you want to take that rotor back off. And silicon will help hold down the rust content that it doesn't rust as bad. So a little schmear on the face and just work it in with your index finger does wonders. That's number one. Number two, you know, when you take the old rotor off, and on a vehicle that if you're going through and having warp issues with rotors, brake shake and so forth, you've got to dial indicate the hub. You've got to measure to see what runout is. Is the is the hub true and straight to the angles of the vehicle itself is it square as i like to think of it in the back of my mind that's that's number two and then number three yeah you're right there are a lot of cheap parts out there and um, there are some issues with quality of parts and a lot of things are made in china today just about everything's made in china we're seeing a lot of brake rotors come in from china that uh, you know there's but by the other side of the coin there's there's good china there's bad china um, I was just having this conversation with Tom before we did the show today. We were talking about quality of components. We had to look up a wiper motor, as a matter of fact, for his Escape. He needs a rear wiper motor for his Ford Escape that he's driving. And um, we referenced a motorcraft piece, and we referenced a rebuilt piece out of the aftermarket. And the price point was so close. I said, Tom, you know, for the extra 8 bucks, the the motorcraft piece, even if it's made in China, is going to be what I consider to be in good China. Because typically if that part goes bad in, in a dealership, the dealership has to pay that mechanic to replace it if it's under warranty. Whereas if that part goes bad in the aftermarket, you know, they'll get a part for free, but they won't get labor. So there's a cost difference there that affects the aftermarket shop. And in my case, in my money, as a shop owner, I can tell you, like I said to Tom, I always try and put the best part on I can find within reason based on price point. Because if it does go bad, everything goes bad, um, I don't want to get caught short where I've got to do a great deal of labor again, especially for free. That's a problem. And um, that's the way it's been in the aftermarket for many, many years. There is no uh, there is no better answer than that. So as far as brand, uh, you know, Wagner, Ray Bestis, um, the name, the name, the national brands that are out there and have been out there for a long time. Delco Durastop is a good line of brake component. And, um, you know, be advised. And if anybody didn't realize it, um, you know, those white box brake pads that are $9, they make a great doorstop. Um, but that's about all because, um, no, not for brakes, not for something that, that is that important. I'm Ron Anady in the car, Doctor, 855-560-9900. We're back right after this. Don't go away. Hey, 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 welcome back. Ron and Andy and the car doctor here, 855-560-9900. I'm going to drive Tony, my engineer, crazy with that today. How am I doing, Tony? Big thumbs up from the big man on the other side of the glass. Let's get over to line two, talk to Gene from La Crosse, Wisconsin, 2001 Chrysler Sebring and some oil light issues. Gene, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Hi. Hi. Um, I have a, it's a 2002, I double-checked. Okay. Um, Sebring, um... It only has 70,000 miles on it, and I love my car. It may be old, but I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a 2.7 engine in it. Um, I just got an oil change less than a month, 
after the oil change, also the light started going on. Um, I double-checked to make sure it wasn't leaking. I took it back to the mechanic. Um, he checked. It was not leaking. I just wanted to know some other options because he said the engine could be going. Right. But I thought, right. This is, this is know, a two, I mean, it's only 70000 Gene, this is a 2.7 V6? Yep. Right, okay. All right. So, you know, the problem here could very well be oil pressure. And yeah, what he's what he's describing is because the two sevens had sludge problems. Are you the original owner on the car from new? Um, the lady that had it before me only had it less than a year. Right. So okay, I'm pretty much the main owner. So, so you you bought it from her in two thousand three. Yep. All right. So you've had it all this time. Yep. Um, so in twelve years, you've gone sixty thousand miles. That's it. So you're doing. Four or five thousand miles a year, or somewhere thereabouts. That's about it. Yep. How often are you changing the oil? Um, I try to change the oil um, every three thousand. Okay. How about how about by 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 time, or is it just strictly? Um, I just watch for every three thousand. Okay. I change it. Here's a classic example of why you don't want to do that. All right. Oil changes are meant to be done by time and by mileage. All right. On a car that's not driven long-term, and I'm going to take a leap here and say, do you drive long distances to work, or are you all short-trip driving? Um, short-trip to right. work. I work every day, but, right. you know, five days a week, but is not it, very far. You know, is it, you know, three to five miles to work, five to six miles to work? Yeah, about yeah. seven the most. Yeah. Right. So how cold is it in Wisconsin today? <laughs> right now? It's beautiful right now. It's only, it's probably about 24 right now. Okay. So when you start out to work in the morning, do you let it warm up or do you give it a couple of two-minute warm-up and just drive to work? I let it warm up. I have my um, husband bought me one of those. Remote start things? Yep. Yep. Okay. So I let it warm up. And the engine light is not on when I get in this car. Right. It's when But I start driving and then if I leave off on the gas, Sometimes it goes on and it goes off, so it's not on all the time. Okay. On the chance that this is a mechanical issue, meaning that the oil pump is restricted, the pickup, um, you know, just the same way the if the pool pump got restricted, it wouldn't pump water, or the sump pump got restricted, it wouldn't pump water, the oil pump pickup tube is restricted, um, it won't pump oil. And what, what typically happens with the 2.7 Chrysler V6 is, is the screen gets restricted and it gets sludged up, particularly on the vehicles that don't go a lot of miles. And it's it's you know what I'm going to say is a low frequency of oil changes. Then you're going to have this scenario happen, and it could be that it's just too much sludge in the engine. So the first thing the mechanic really needs to do is check oil pressure at idle with a mechanical gauge. All right. Yep, he said he recommended that. Right. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, no, that's where you want to go, and you want to see where mechanical pressure is. Not compression, mechanical oil pressure. And you want to see what oil pressure is at idle and match it up against specification. If it's low, if it's truly low, then the next thing I would do is either pop a valve cover off or look inside, take the oil fill cap off and look inside. How clean or dirty is the engine? If it's sludged up, if it's sludged up on the top of the motor, then it's probably sludged up on the bottom of the motor, and then you've got two decisions. Do you try to run some sort of chemical or engine cleaner through it, 
and do a couple of hot oil changes and try to unsludge it? Or do you pull the oil pan down and try to clean it out from underneath? And that's that's the mechanics decision on the scene, and that's based on you know how bad everything looks or doesn't look once you start looking around. Um, that's 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 solution number one. Solution number two, it's a little it's a little radical, all right. And I caution you on using this, and I leave this up to the mechanic to decide because this can cause engine damage and problems. All right. Solution okay. number two is to put a pint of brake fluid in the engine. Yep, you heard me say that right. All right. Put a pint of brake fluid in the engine crankcase. Don't drive the car. Let it idle at the shop for a couple of three hours. And as long as the cooling system holds up, brake fluid is the most caustic material I can think of to put in an engine. And what we'll do is we'll let it run. We'll let it circulate. Do a hot oil change. Run fresh oil through it. Do it again. Do another hot oil change. And that usually cleans everything out. The caution here is this is the fail-safe. If you do this, you do stand the chance of ruining the engine. But, and here's the but, if the engine's already ruined from sludge and you have to take it apart, you haven't lost anything. And in a lot of cases, you have a lot to gain. So that's the, you know, you've got to take that gamble in your head and decide which way to go. Have the mechanic look at it. Make a sludge determination if it is sludge. Now, if oil pressure isn't low, if oil pressure is good, then you've got to diagnose an electrical problem. Perhaps there's an issue with the sender or the light on the dash itself or the wiring harness, and the problem is not mechanical in the engine. The problem is electrical. So um, those are the two ways you've got to go. In the future, Gene, I'm going to tell you to change the oil at least twice a year, and I would be using a synthetic-based oil in this car because it'll help resist moisture and corrosion. I would tell you to get out to um, I would tell you to get out to PennsOil.com and take a look at their line of synthetics, and you can read about synthetic oil and the benefit from that. And um, you know, hopefully, avoid this situation again. Call me back. Let me know what happens. I'm kind of concerned for you. I'm Ron and Annie in the car doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the car doctor rolling along this hour at 855-560-9900. There you go, Tony. Hey, like that, I did zero again, huh? See, I can do that. I've got the mental preparedness to do that. We're talking about the phone number. Different conversation if you're late getting to the game today, folks, but that's okay. Let's go over to line one. Jesse, Eureka, California. I think i got to move to California. I'd love to be able to say where you live. Eureka. Eureka, I've got it. Jesse, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, I have a uh, 95 uh, Toyota Tacoma, uh, 200,000 on it, and I uh, put a fuel line on her a couple years back. Just broken in. Go ahead. Yeah, right. And uh, one year after the fuel pump was put in, when the 2.7 liter four cylinder, excuse me, and uh, when you start, set it off, say you're getting groceries, and you get back in the vehicle when it's warm. She cranks a few extra times. The other day, she's been cranking quite a few more times than it normally takes to fire that motor. Uh, on a cold day, she's fine all day. Right. But uh, you set it off when it's warm, and she's got issues on it. Any any sort of a fuel smell? 
big time coming in the cab. I, yeah, I forgot to mention, uh, yeah. it smells like gas big time inside the vehicle. Huge. Uh, she's fully insured, but, uh, I'm kind of scared there a bit. Well, yeah, I'd be scared cause you're not insured. I mean, you might be insured, <laughs> but well, we don't want you to collect it or anybody else. Um, we kind of want you to be around. Um, you know, I mean, is, is the smell from the area of where the line is that you replaced up front in the back? Well, uh, yeah, what, what happened was when I lowered the fuel pump, uh, there's not a lot of room to work in there. Next time I'll take the bed off of any other rigs I do, but there's like a water heater type of line that doesn't like to be lowered too far. Right. And when I lowered it too far to, to, to work in there, it kinked it. So I replaced it with uh, a couple feet of the high-dollar uh, rubber hose from the parts house, a high-pressure rated for fuel injection, you know, and threw a few extra clamps on there when I put the new pump back in because I didn't want to re-bend that, that hard line. Sure, sure. And, uh, but the fuel smell didn't happen until a year later. Well, yeah, I mean, listen, and not knocking it, but it doesn't matter if it happened a year later or two years later, you still got it. Is the smell from the area of the tank in the back or is the smell from the area up front? Well, you know, I can't smell. I can't tell because we're in the vehicle cranking it over trying to uh, trying to get the hell out of there so uh, right. well what if you got out you know what what if you started it and got out and just let it run smell is smell it's got to be somewhere um you know it, it's, yeah, right. it's it's just using your uh, nose i mean listen if we were at the shop what i'd do is i'd have somebody start it up and i'd be outside the vehicle with a five gas probe if i couldn't tell direction with my nose and i would just take the five gas probe and i would just probe around the truck looking to see where it picks up the strongest readings of hydrocarbons, hydrocarbons being raw fuel. At least it gives me a direction to go. Um, I know it, that. You know, I mean, that would be the easiest. Obviously, I'm not saying everybody's got a five gas in their backyard, um, you know, but uh, actually I do, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, I get it. I mean, you know, listen, I wouldn't want to have to drop the gas tank again unless I really had to, but, you know, there's there's no other way you're going to approach this. Uh, just be careful. Don't uh, don't be near anybody with a lit match or a cigarette because um, you know obviously somebody might cash in on the life insurance, and I don't want to see that happen to any of my listeners or anybody else for that matter. So let's get on to uh, let's get on to line two, Milton in New Orleans, and see what's going on. Two thousand seven Hyundai, Milton. Welcome to the car doctor. How can I help? Hi, how you doing? Good, sir. What's uh, going on? It's uh, just it's been a process of elimination. Uh, it uh, only overheats when the AC is on, and it only does it when you stop for five or ten minutes. Uh, and uh, just recently, I uh, got out when this happened, and I looked at the, uh, uh, the the fans, and I could see them turning very slowly. Okay. And after watching for another half a minute, then they stopped. So uh, naturally, I got back in and shut the car off. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, then when I started again, I just drove a couple of blocks, and then it was fine. Right. So uh, obviously something's wrong. It's causing the fans to sometimes work and sometimes not work. Okay. Let me ask you this: Do you have uh, a check? And, uh, do you have a check engine light on, Milton? Check engine light only comes on when the AC is on, uh, and it's hot. Okay. What... Uh, if it's cool weather, it doesn't come on. All right. Did you check for a fault code? Uh, yes, they did, and it indicated something with the AC, but it wasn't really clear. I mean, we, we 
All right. Uh, when the guy checked it, uh, uh, he, he wasn't sure. Let's get some clarity. Here's why. All right. If you come back and tell me this is a P0480, that's a code for the fan circuit, the cooling fan controller. Um, P, P, P via PC. P. P is in Peter 0480. 480. Yes, okay. sir. Yes, sir. Um, right. P0480. If it's got a P0480, that's a fault in the fan circuit. And that is probably leading us towards a bad cooling fan control module assembly. No guarantee, but it's the general uh-huh. neighborhood. All right. All that right. that being said, if the check engine light has nothing to do with the overheat, and I was treating this as just a straight mechanical, gee, the car is overheating. Um, if this is an older vehicle, this is, you know, this is an 07, it's eight years old, it's probably got a couple of miles on it. I always tell everybody, mm-hmm. a lot of people start to think radiator, they want proof. I tell them, take a look at the front of the radiator, all right? How clean is it? How clean is the AC condenser? All right, you've got to re- realize that there's not a lot of swept area up front for airflow to go through. If that radiator has started to blister the paint, and I've seen this on dozens, if not more, of what I'll call foreign cars, Toyotas, Hondas, Hyundais, Kias, they all do the same thing. The paint blisters lifts off the fin, all right, if it's a if it's a painted radiator, and it will, it will restrict airflow. If it restricts airflow, 3% spread over the face of the radiator, multiply it out, all of a sudden you're cutting heat dissipation off. That car will overheat every time. Everybody looks inside the radiator and says, hey, the radiator's clean. You know what? How's the outside of the radiator? Um, and I'm not saying I'm not saying that's it. I'm just trying to get your brain going in a different direction. So here's the remedy. Got to get the mechanic to scan it for codes. We've got to understand why the check engine light's coming on. If it's not a 480 fault code, let's diagnose that as well. If it's a straight mechanical overheat having nothing to do with the fan controller, then we've got to diagnose that. But take a look at the outside of the radiator as well as the inside. Call me back next week. You know where to find me. That number is 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anany and the Car Doctor, and I'll be right back. Hey, 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 welcome back. We're on the the car doctor. So uh, we've been talking off and on, you and I, about connected vehicles, right? Connected technology, the uh, how the car is going to be tied to the cloud and so on and so forth. Interesting article in Motor Magazine uh, a couple of months back now. I was reading it because I'm just getting around to my mail from three months ago because there's a few things going on in some cases. Intelligent connected technologies coming to select 2017 Cadillacs. Cadillac will begin offering advanced intelligent and connected vehicle technologies on certain 27 model, 2017 model year vehicles was announced by GM CEO Mary Barra at the recent ITS World Congress in Detroit. In about two years, an all-new 2017 Cadillac will offer customers an advanced driver assist technology at the moment called Super Cruise. And in the same time frame, the Cadillac CTS will be equipped with vehicle-to-vehicle communication technology. What does this mean to you and I? Well... 
in, in this case, Super Cruise automated driving technology. We were talking, we're always talking and having this argument here on the Car Doctor about, you know, hands off driving. Super Cruise automated driving technology will offer customers a new type of experience that includes hands-off lane following, braking, speed control in certain highway driving conditions. The system is designed to increase the comfort of attentive drivers on freeways, both in bumper-to-bumper traffic and on long trips. Vehicle-to-vehicle communication technology will mitigate many traffic collisions and improve traffic congestion by sending and receiving basic safety information. It's coming, folks. I know we keep having this argument that it's not, but trust me, it's coming, and we've all got to be ready for it. Me on my side of the counter at the toolbox, and you on the steering wheel side. Hey, this hour is kind of come and gone, as Fast Harry would say. Where does the time go? Till the next one. Mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless. See ya.